Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furtan Danya. If any of this material covered in the podcast resonates with you and you're looking for coaching services, I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at UnoyaZen or email me lifecoaching at UnoyaZen.com. But I'm really excited about this week's episode as I sit down with Dr. Mohammed Solomon. Uh, Dr. Solomon is a medical practitioner and life coach in the field of entrepreneurship. Uh, in this episode, Dr. Solomon and I discuss authenticity, vulnerability, and the concept of self. Dr. Solomon also discusses the common issues we encounter with language and the impact absolute terms can have. Absolute terms are terms such as always or never. Um, Dr. Solomon and I discuss the importance of self-talk and being mindful of our language, leveraging our perceived weaknesses, and finding the balance of how we present our authentic selves. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, you can find Dr. Solomon on Instagram at Dr. Solomon MD. And if you enjoy this episode, please leave a five-star review. I would truly appreciate it. All right, uh, Dr. Soliman, uh, thank you for joining the Easy Conversation podcast. Uh, really grateful for you taking the time today uh, to come on here and have this conversation with me. I'm really ex excited about the topic uh, or topics uh, we're going to cover today. But before we get started, I just want to give you an opportunity to to introduce yourself and you know talk about some of the work you do, and and then we'll kind of get into our conversation from there. Many thanks for the invitation, Furkan. Really a pleasure to be here. I I would define myself as lifelong learner. I started my career as a pharmacist, then went to science, and then to medicine. Um, and then a little bit of entrepreneur business. So it's, uh, you could tell it's just a lifelong journey of uh, education. And uh, it's, it's a good thing to be in that mindset. I think education is the best investment uh, we could do to ourselves and to uh, our kids. Um, on the side gig, I'm certified life coach where my clients are usually professionals who are either moving vertically in organizations, so they want to know how to manage up, and uh, people who want to change careers, but they are uncertain which direction to take, or they are certain about the direction, but they don't know how to pivot without losing much, which is the choice paradox that we have here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and you're obviously, uh, so you're based in the U.S. in Michigan, is that correct? Uh, yes, I was in the Big Apple for six years, and I'm done with New York. It was, it's an inspiring and tiring, beautiful city, uh, but it can get to you uh, after some time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I guess on the life coach side, you know, I think personally, uh, for me, it was uh, going through uh, adversity and struggling where I really wanted to kind of take that experience and help others. And I find that's quite 
common amongst people where, you know, you have an experience that changes your life in a way, and then you want to give back uh, and, and kind of serve uh, in this world. Uh, what inspired you to, to take on the, the life coaching side, considering you were already in medicine? Excellent point. And I think this also leads to uh, a second question. What's the difference between being a psychiatrist and being a life coach? Because mm -hmm. in psychiatry, you also help people. So yeah. to your original question, it is usually something that you will cultivate over years. I agree with you. Sometimes there is a life event that uh, make people want to do it. For me, I think it was a natural thing to do since I was a teenager. Uh, usually we'll have one or two people in their class that people will go to and vent the problems to or seek advice from and it happened to be me and usually one or two other uh, kids in the class i don't know how and why i think there are some personality traits that we uh, collectively uh, as human grow up uh, having and could be partially genetic and partially what we inherited from parents or modeled after parents when I started to formalize it is when I had some time to formalize it and get certification. Mm -hmm. The difference between which um, I get this question a lot between psychiatry and life coaching and psychiatry, you deal with the emotional aspect and the burden of life memories and life experiences and traumatic events. In coaching, no, it tends to be more specific, uh, more about a snapshot of life. And you want to go from point A to point B, and you want someone to help you with this. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. If someone got emotional in a psychiatry interview, this is a window to get to know them. Yeah. In coaching, ideally, if you're following the International Coach Federation guidelines, you ideally would offer them time to reconstitute or even reschedule the meeting. You don't use this time to try to understand, oh, what is the childhood memories and things like that, because they are here for specific um, purpose mm -hmm. that will be covered, say, in four to six weeks or six to eight weeks. And it will not be most probably beneficial to what they are looking for. It doesn't mean there is no opportunity to explore emotions, mm -hmm. but the goals need to be clear from the get-go. What is this coaching for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I think uh, like one of the ways I look at it is psychiatry or psychology is really helping the clients uh, understand some of the past, uh, whether it's traumatic events or emotions, um, and then coaching is really forward focused. It's like, okay, well, what are, goals are you going to set for yourself to, you know, to become, uh, get where you want to go? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think both are very um, useful and the fact that you, you kind of have 
uh, background in both. I think that's amazing. Um, and and I guess one of the things I wanted to touch on today, uh, and and the way we were able to connect was I came across an article you had published, and um, it, it was something I was really curious about. Um, it was really this concept of a personal paradox, and uh, the thing I was really interested in was the fact that there is this um, inability for people to really accept this paradox because in some cases it doesn't align with this image uh, or version of ourselves we have created or we want to create. Um, and, and I guess, you know, maybe just to give an example, and I'd like to hear your thoughts as well, but I think for me, if I am trying to be a men's coach, anything that does not align with that, whether I'm not holding true to what I'm preaching, I'm mm -hmm. going to try to hide that or I'm going to feel shame or guilt for it. Mm -hmm. And that's where this concept comes in, at least from the way I interpret it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it is a huge issue because just because we want to be a certain way or we're trying to uh, achieve this image doesn't mean that it doesn't come with our own flaws. And, and again, just to throw it out to you uh, and, you know, see what your thoughts are. Interesting point. And it, I think it's the paradox that most mentors, coaches, or any people in a position of giving advice struggle with, mm -hmm. or not struggle with. Some people just have dual lives, uh, which usually fire back. So let's go first to what is authenticity. Mm -hmm. So philosophically speaking, it is a degree to which you or I is true to one's own personality, character, despite external pressures. So in that sense, you can think of authenticity in a good way, but also in, in a limited way. Mm -hmm. It is limited by our concept of who we are and the ideas for which the self holds true. So, and what is the self? That's another thing. It's, it's a construct defined by beliefs, cultures, the book we read, the family values, the memories we had. And that was a big thought in David Hume's philosophy uh, almost 200 years ago, where he defined the self as an illusion. Obviously in psychiatry, that would be a heresy to say because <clears throat> the concept of the self um, would be, uh, if you look at it from Freudian perspective, the self is a construct. Um, having said that, Freud also said that we can't define ourselves except through the eyes of others. And the same with Paul Sartre, where he, when people misinterpret the term, um, hell is others. They think it means hell, other people are, um, or people are evil. This is not what he meant. It is hell because we only interpret the self through the eyes of the others. And so that is why they are hellish. Mm -hmm. But that, if you look at it again, so if we said yourself is only your memory, does this mean when you lose your memory, you lose yourself? And that was one of the concepts of the self in the past. If we define the self in more narrow way, it can't really explain the human inconsistencies, paradoxes, contradictions, 
especially when we make decisions. Mm-hmm. And something happened that led to the term authenticity to emerge very strongly since 2009. If you look at the literature, at least in management, there is a surge in this thing, authenticity. And it's because you can guess after the great recession mm-hmm. or great, I think it's not great recession, great dip- yeah, great recession, not depression. People lost faith in big yeah. organizations. And this started the whole discussion about authenticity. We need authentic leaders. So now we talked about authenticity. We talked about the self. Does this mean then the authentic self that implies personal integrity is always good? Mm-hmm. And I would say... Well, every virtue lies between vices of insufficiency and surplus. Too little of kindness is selfishness. Too Mm -hmm. much of it is self-martyrdom. Too little authenticity makes you fake. Too much of it can make you, I would say, Mm -hmm. self-focused or um, almost narcissistic, for example. If someone want to be so authentic that they only want to talk about what happened to them yesterday night or the argument they had with their parents uh, the day before, and they are very authentic, they are very vulnerable. That is marvelous. But in a workplace, do you really want to have this consistently? Yeah. Do you want to have this outside the work hours or mm-hmm. within the work hours? And, and that where the balance need to be mm-hmm. set. Uh, if someone stick to the self, but they are too loud or they are too blunt, mm-hmm. Is that really being authentic to the self or that is being rigid and not wanting to adapt Mm -hmm. to a new reality? And this is where things that you start to hear, or we have been hearing this for a number of years now, bring your whole self to work. You have to be very cautious Mm -hmm. with these things. And some organizations are reverting back to the era before that, because if I'm comfortable in my pajamas, I, the authentic me would say, what's the difference between me in pajamas or in a white coat? I can't yeah. see my patients in anything. It doesn't matter. They are asking for professional advice. Mm-hmm. Would you really see a physician in pajamas? probably (laughs) there is something wrong yeah yeah there is something off Uh, (laughs) although i'm authentic i'm really authentic here or if my authenticity not to comb my hair just let it as is Mm -hmm. and go and meet people um is that really authentic or that's just lack of adaptability Mm. and here where the authenticity paradox come in If you are a leader and the company going through a tough transition and you are a person who is a, what you call them, people 
person. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you start to show this an anxiety about the new direction uh, and people picked up on it. In normal circumstances, it might be beautiful and shows human vulnerability. On the other hand, when the ship is taking a new direction or sinking, it, it wouldn't be helpful because everyone around you is looking for strong leadership mm -hmm. and tough decisions need to be made. So this is where I see it's not either or. It, it can be like any other virtue where you titrate it and yeah. don't be insufficient, but also don't be in surplus. Right. So I think what you've touched on with, and we see that quite, especially in these times, we're seeing that with a lot of uh, constructs where the pendulum swings so far in the other direction that mm -hmm. now it becomes almost problematic. And, and when it comes to authenticity, I think, you know, one of the things that you touched on and, and I've, you know, also experienced is, is the, you know, the, the concept of oversharing. Um, mm -hmm. And then when, when you kind of question that, people are like, well, no, I'm being my authentic self. And, and to your point, you know, there is also um, potentially an issue with uh, going to the other extreme of oversharing versus not sharing anything at all. And, and really it's finding that balance. Um, so when, when you talk about authenticity and um, uh, especially in, in the world we're in, I know you touched on it a little bit in the organizational aspect because of some of the changes we saw from like 2008 uh, with the recession and all that. But in our personal lives as well, like as people that are in re relationships with family, friends, uh, significant others, you know, there, there's also an issue there with authenticity um, where, you know, people keep asking for it. We're like, oh, this person's not authentic. What are your thoughts on that when it comes to, to our personal lives? When you say people accusing you of being not authentic, you mean the partner telling you not authentic, your kid? Yeah, I think, I think, I think uh, it, it applies in a lot of relationships, but I think mostly in, we see that a lot in, in between spouses too, right? Uh, or mm -hmm. in others where uh, you'll hear one partner saying, I want my partner to be authentic. And mm -hmm. I think there's an aspect of vulnerability, which we'll touch on here mm -hmm. shortly, that comes in, but you almost have to be careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. And do they, actually, this is a question I usually would ask when someone tells me this, and I would tell, ask, did you ever ask them, what do they mean by be more authentic? Mm -hmm. What would you hear mostly, like people would say? Well, I think in my experience, it's... Yeah. Um, I like the way I perceive it is it's huh. people are asking their partners to be transparent, be themselves. But mm -hmm. then I often find that even that when say if my partner, for example, is mm -hmm. like, I want you to be yourself, be transparent, but it's almost like they don't mean it. What they mean is mm -hmm. like, I want you to be yourself based on an image of you. I want <laughs> uh. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
So, and so, it can mean different things. It can mean I want you to share some of your, say, work life. Mm-hmm. And if you just share this with them, even if it has nothing to do with your personality, that will be sufficient. Mm-hmm. Or it means I want you to communicate more. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it needs to be clarified because as um, uh, I think Jacques Lacan is the one who said, language is our primary present. Language really divides us. And if you look at uh, what is the biggest punishment that God punished humanity with based on the biblical stories, does anything come to your mind? It is the Babel punishment when human wanted to build a tower to see God. And then God punished them by dividing their tongue. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it philosophically, it is really the hardest thing ever. If you mm. can't communicate, your life is about suffering. And that's what usually happens when people say authenticity. They, do they mean really authenticity or they mean just sharing in general? You are too quiet mm. or what do they really mean by this? So that would be my take on clarification. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, I mean, I think that's a, an amazing point you made. I think communication is obviously key and, and the lack of communication or even misinterpretation, which I think happens quite frequently, even in our day-to-day lives where, you know, we just misunderstand um, what someone's saying or that divide, like you said, in language creates so many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess for, for this purposes, you know, I think we're, yeah. we're uh, we've touched on authenticity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's this aspect of vulnerability and then, you know, the whole paradox. So being authentic, like you said, means that we are putting forward everything, whether it's our, including, sorry, including our flaws and our paradoxes. And, mm-hmm. and in order to be truly vulnerable, you need to be able to put all that on the table. But mm-hmm. why is it such a struggle for mm-hmm. people um, in terms of being able to truly face their paradoxes, um, mm-hmm. first of all, before they can even share them with others? Mm-hmm. So you're touching on the point about facing oneself first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I agree with, with you about this. Before we even share with others, we need to make sure that what we think is a problem is a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you get this feedback multiple times from outsiders, maybe there is some truth to what they say. And again, we go back to the uh, Lacanian, uh, Freudian way of defining the self and even Sartre way of looking at it is uh, we don't have a self that's separate from others. Although some people would say, or some philosophers would argue against that, there is something to be said about um, the value of feedback about things that we're not aware of. 
-hmm. And these things will hit our awareness. Then we can decide whether to incorporate them and look at them seriously Mm -hmm. and see why this thing is happening. Uh, And then you decide. Some people would say, oh, I want to be authentic. Mm -hmm. I want to be angry. If they, the genuine you has the full right, obviously, say to feel angry in injustice, mm-hmm. but you don't need to express this anger at that moment in a way that might cost you your job. Mm-hmm. There is a way of pointing out things um, and discussing your emotions, but maybe at a different point of conversation, maybe later on. So the genuine you can choose the time, the tone and the location mm-hmm. to express emotions. It, genuine doesn't mean either in, in close relationship or um, work relationship, things happen at the moment and just it, we blah. Mm-hmm. And it can be fake. And we know politicians, without mentioning names, but I think people can guess easily uh, one of the politicians over the past few years who was perceived as authentic, but it was lack of self-inhibition. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely, yeah, and it was perceived, oh, no, but he's so authentic. He just speaks his mind. No, not even he was speaking his mind. Mm-hmm. He was, he managed to convey an image and say whatever he wants under this image and present it as authentic. So we need to be careful about this point and, and what we even consider authentic to ourselves. Why we do not want to face ourselves because facing yourself is not for the faith heart. Mm-hmm. This is from the far east and it is really as they also say it's the pathway of the warrior Mm. but there's a battle between oneself and oneself whatever that self is Mm -hmm. Um, it is not a battle to do this and expose it to everyone else in fact if anything i find this to be sometimes narcissistic because in our battle, we have to involve our other people in our battle. And this shouldn't be the case. It is hard. I can see the paradox here, and this might be uneasy for some people to hear. But there is something to be said about that. Mm-hmm. If I keep trying to go this vulnerability process and next day I go and dump this on someone just because he or she is a good friend. Um, is that authenticity or that just lack of awareness? Mm. And that's that's something to be we need to think about carefully. Is it even um, justifying for behaviors? that are not in line with the, our roles in life. For example, if you're a father and 
your authentic self feel like my kid need to be severely punished for this thing. Mm -hmm. Your authentic self here doesn't have to act. If we agree this an authentic self, it, it can be, if anything, self-absorbed. We are convincing ourselves, oh, it's just who I am. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, it's almost a fixed mindset. Mm. So I guess, you know, based on what you're saying, um, if I were to like interpret it correctly, mm -hmm. like there's, you know, the authentic self does not mean that you act on everything that comes to you. Like there needs to be some, and, and you know, you alluded to it, like just speaking your mind doesn't mean you're off being authentic. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of as based, also based on how we choose to react does not, we can't fall back on the whole notion that, hey, I'm acting this way because this is who I am mm -hmm. and I'm being authentic. There needs to be some filters um, and I think the way I look at it um, is just because I'm being authentic doesn't mean I should be hurting other people based on my actions and my words. That does not give me a free pass. Yeah. And remember, too, it goes the other way around. Mm -hmm. We tend to label people as untrue or fake, as we perceive any deviation from the one authentic selves that we think of as they are not themselves. Mm. Does this mean there is no fakeness? No, there are. And you can take this sometimes easily, sometimes not so. But there is something to be said about certain environments uh, in certain situations where acting, uh, you can feel what you want mm -hmm. and your actions is not opposite, but it can be delayed to a different point in your career or your family life where you are more level-headed and can discuss things. When people, as you said, something really nice about when the spouse wants you to be more authentic, you are right. It's, it could be just the way they perceive you mm -hmm. and they want you to fit this rule and fit this image. And if you don't fit it, then you're not authentic. Mm -hmm. The problem is you don't know what is this image mm -hmm. and where it came from. Is it some, some fantasy? that came from how they perceive um, a good husband mm -hmm. or a good father. We have no idea. We don't, sometimes we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and one of the things you touched on, um, and I just wanted to explore it a little bit further was, you know, obviously when I think part of the problem where people often tend to get defensive mm -hmm. is when we're given feedback and and I struggle with this mm -hmm. too like often when mm -hmm. I get feedback mm -hmm. from friends or family and if that mm -hmm. feedback doesn't align with the person I'm trying to be mm -hmm. or that vision I have of myself 
Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, I consider myself very respectful and and um, I try to be courteous. But if I get feedback tomorrow from a friend or or even a, a spouse who's like, well, no, you were being selfish and you were being rude. My initial tendency would be to get defensive and shut down or or just get upset with this person. But mm-hmm. if I was really being authentic and uh, accepting that feedback and understanding, mm-hmm. okay, maybe I did behave in a way that came across as being disrespectful, but that doesn't change the fact that I I still try to be very respectful with people. So there was a something you mentioned about being narcissistic. Do you want to ex- expand on that and and how this whole notion of feedback mm-hmm. well, people get very edgy <laughs> when it comes uh-huh. to that. yeah yes just to clarify when we say narcissistic as a adjective it's not as narcissistic personality disorder right. or yes. things like this because now everyone is infatuated by uh, what is a narcissism? My ex is a narcissist. As if there is nothing to do with them at all. Uh, we live in interesting time. So regarding the feedback, as you could imagine, feedback is the new F word. Yeah. No one <laughs> likes to get it and no one likes to give it either. Yeah. You, yeah. you will see this when you are in a more senior position in a company or in academia and you are asked to give feedback most of the time you don't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to um, hurt someone feeling or you don't care or yeah, it will take time. Um, but it's something that needs to be done in a different way. So if when you said in your example, someone told you, you are rude, mm-hmm. that is not a feedback, that is labeling. Mm-hmm. Because every feedback is situational. If that same person said, when you did this to me, I felt X, I felt mm-hmm. insulted, I mm-hmm. felt humiliated. That is very different from you are something because it, it labels you as a character, as a person. Mm-hmm. Out, it's almost as if it is for life. Right. And that's when we get defensive because we're being attacked. Yeah, of course. And you have a here, you have a right to feel so, and then you can clarify. So what do you mean by this? And then they most probably will talk about the situation or give you an example, but it goes both ways. When people give feedback, they need to be settled. Mm-hmm. And this is where, again, the authentic self is not right. Because funny enough, this same person he gives you this uh, straight shooter feedback, give them the same feedback. You will be shocked. They will yeah. not tolerate it at all. In fact, people who have the strongest opinions about people are the ones who have the least tolerance to any criticism. And this is uh, a form of uh, narcissism, the covert narcissist. Mm -hmm. So guiding them, maybe it's also a good point to know something about yourself, so how you came across to them, but they also have the responsibility 
to say, what is the situation, how they felt, and what made them feel so. Mm-hmm. It is not your responsibility to read their mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I guess when, when we start talking about the self, um, and, and a lot of the time, you know, like I, I know you touched on Freud, but, you know, some of the, the more modern guys that came after Freud, like Maslow and Carl mm-hmm. Rogers, um, mm-hmm. like they talked about this whole concept of self-actualization, which when I think about it is more about, you know, growing and getting to this version of ourselves that, you know, people mm-hmm. talk about what's your best self. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as soon as you start hearing self-actualization or best self, mm-hmm. you almost struggle to think about, okay, like for me, how I interpret that is being your best self also means accepting your flaws and not using them as an excuse, but acknowledging that, okay, you know, I have my own flaws. Mm -hmm. I make mistakes and I would like to learn from them and not repeat those mistakes. Mm -hmm. But that is also a form of self-actualization. And I think Mm -hmm. where people get lost is because I'm trying to get to this best self, that means there should be no flaws or um, there should be no paradoxes. And anything that does not align with that, Mm -hmm. I am going to try to hide or I'm mm-hmm. going to struggle to accept. And yeah, I just want to get your thoughts and maybe touching even on you know what you had uh, written about that whole concept of personal paradox when, when it comes to this, this construct. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, you are asking about when people face themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they now want to hide certain aspects from their say clients or spouses or even themselves even uh, yes yeah yes yes that is and this is where having someone myself included you need someone an outsider to help you know what you do not know Mm -hmm. in johari's square that is the part about the unknown unknowns Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the hardest part to know on our own. And it needs an outsider to tell us what we're really missing because there is no one, um, like someone need to be extremely insightful and aware mm-hmm. to know the unknowns and knowns. And I doubt they will be able to on their own. But once you get this, and again, that backs to the concept of uh, the self is uh, from the Alain Bourdieu theory uh, that uh, we only understand ourselves through reflections of the eyes of others. Um, We need others to know ourselves. We can't live in isolation. Um, We need someone, an outsider, who doesn't have also an agenda. Mm-hmm. and we can trust and this can be hard i admit because mm-hmm. you don't want to be so open to uh, someone and then this get used against you mm-hmm. 
um, and so once you get to know this, you will work on it at least one or two things because otherwise it become too much of a battle. Mm -hmm. We can't fix everything. And this is where accepting certain things that I'm not saying you will be happy with it, but we can't keep trying to fix every single defect mm -hmm. we have. We can capitalize on this defect though and make it a merit. Mm -hmm. For example, if someone suffers from an anxiety, not the pathological one, but say above average an anxiety, Mm -hmm. And they try, and someone told them, you come across as an anxious person in the workplace, and that affects people's mood, focus, and overall their workflow. Then suppose they accept that part and they start to work on it. They can very much focus on how can I be less anxious and or how can I present myself as less anxious mm -hmm. um, or they can use it to their strength as in, well, if I'm an anxious person, it means I care. And if I care, that's something good. It's just, I need to express it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And most of the things that we think of as negative, they have an upside to it. It just, we do not tend to think about the upside. Mm -hmm. And for some reason we are, we divide things as good or bad. For, there are clear goods, there are clear bads, but most of the things as Shakespeare would say, uh, nothing is good or bad, only the mind makes them so. If I can quote him, I think that's almost, almost accurate, but not fully accurate. Mm -hmm. Not saying that there is nothing good or nothing bad. Again, I want to highlight this, but there is something to be said about weaknesses that have um, an upside. Mm -hmm. And we need to focus on that upside and how can we utilize it. I'll give you the, one of the examples from fashion history. Mm -hmm. I can't remember his name. He, I think Alan, uh, he was in the 1950s. What's the, he was, he was a fashion icon. Uh, his name will, will come to uh, mind. Uh, with I think as we speak. So basically that gentleman, uh, he was a gay and back in the days, that was something that is very much different from what we see right now. And he was really awkward mm -hmm. and very skinny and he wouldn't be, if you think about how this person would be a, an icon in anything, it would have been almost impossible. So what he did, he capitalized on that. He dyed his hair 
in a way that is in line with his identity. He had these very skinny uh, pants. Uh, he, his awkwardness uh, in speech and capitalizing that to become a fashion icon. So when uh, he wrote, he um, uh, talked a lot about soup. Mm. I know why. And then when the press come and ask him, oh, why do you talk about soup all the time? He would say, uh, I don't know. I like soup. And then he stops. Very awkward. But you look how the press reacted. Oh, what does he mean by this? What does he mean by soup? Is that something? And he leave room for variable interpretation without him even intending to. Or maybe he did. He just turned his weakness into a strength. And for some reason, we tend to get hung up on weakness only as weakness without looking at the upper side and how can we tone it down, tone down an anxiety to be a friend, mm -hmm. uh, turn down the loud voice. Someone suffers from just loud voice in general that can be annoying. And then they struggle with, well, but that's my authentic self. Uh, no, it can be a strength if you just tuned it down a bit without being soft voice. Because that's what happened, as you said, people go to the other extreme. No, it's how can I capitalize on that loud voice in certain situations, but in other situations, just not do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think uh, I appreciate you sharing that and, and giving some real examples. Uh, so it's, you know, obviously easier to understand. I think there's an aspect of vulnerability that we haven't touched on yet, but I'd like to, you know, dive into a little bit. Um, I think, and, you know, myself included, I think when we are looking at our weaknesses and looking at, okay, well, how can we turn this into a strength? That requires vulnerability, but I think there's a fear, and this is just me speaking out of my own kind of perspective but mm -hmm. there's a fear of being labeled as something right so if I am going to be vulnerable and I'm going to accept that you know I do get anxious um, am I going to be known as that now am I are my friends always going to consider me as an anxious person or is my partner always going to consider mm -hmm. me as an uh, anxious person and I think there's that fear of being mm -hmm. our true authentic selves and mm -hmm. accept facing the self, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, and and you know we talk about be more vulnerable, especially men, be more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But I think there is that fear that comes with it of, okay, I can be vulnerable, but what are the consequences of that? And mm -hmm. am I ready to accept that? Mm -hmm. And I think this something. Um, we might have touched about earlier is who are you vulnerable to, mm -hmm. to begin with? Facing oneself is the first step mm -hmm. because you can fake vulnerability. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You can fake authenticity by sharing, you know, the, the fake humbleness. Mm -hmm. Anything can be like that. You can pick a story from your life uh, where you suffered and how this affected you, just 
literally to gain customers and clients to identify with you. So sharing it in public is not equivalent to showing vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I went to highlight this, which might come across as odd to some people or new to others, but think about it for a second and maybe you would agree or disagree. It starts with facing oneself and then we can care about what others say. Mm-hmm. If And I agree with you about accepting. It's, it's hard to accept that, well, I'm an anxious person or I am... Um, impatient Mm -hmm. or things like this but there is a way also to reframe it Mm -hmm. when we say i am something it means this is who you are Mm -hmm. versus i act anxiously in stressful situations Mm -hmm. this one can be improved Mm -hmm. because once you start the label makes a difference yes really makes a difference because once you say I am, uh, say, schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. Your identity and schizophrenia become the same. Versus I have schizophrenia, that's different. Mm -hmm. Means I have more to me than just schizophrenia. And so this makes the language used with the self. And this is where the self-compassion comes in. Mm -hmm. Uh, People might think self-compassion is an excuse so i can do anything and that's another paradox yeah is self-compassion a way to justify behavior no it is not but it is a if you don't even accept you can coexist Mm -hmm. with part of the personality that you do not like and try to work on it but at the same time you know it is only part of you. Mm-hmm. It is not all of you. If you have anxious personality, this is one aspect, but you also have diligent personality. You have hardworking personality. You have many other good traits, but for some reason, the mind tend to focus on that one and define the whole self-construct through the lens of this one thing that we choose to focus on. Mm. Yeah, no, and How I think- this sound to you? I, I think that's amazing. And I'm glad you you touched on that because I think the, the important part here is the self-talk we have with ourselves and uh, the power of words, right? Of and, and just saying- Language is a prison house. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and I think it's amazing because uh, I think there's that, and people talk about positive affirmations, but I think in this case, you know, when you're touching on the fact that just me calling myself anxious, I'm basically labeling myself and, and considering my whole self as anxious, whereas just saying I may have anxious tendencies in certain situations, and those are things that you can easily work on, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's very powerful um, and without faking it, I mean, you, if you look at people just tend to overvalue certain uh, negative traits they don't like, and it becomes self-perpetuating problem, they are not anxious all the time. Mm-hmm. They just say they have higher than 
normal and anxiety uh, when they give a public speech or when they are in a new party or when they are in a new job uh, versus others might be more smoothly transitioning. But once they pass this stage, there an anxiety is still there, but, but not as it was, say, the first week. Once you start to identify with an anxiety, it has almost become part of them, and they stop feeling anxious, they actually miss it. They start to think, yeah, where's an anxiety? Why I don't feel anxious? It means I don't care anymore. And I'm sure you came, you came across people like this who would tell you, oh, but I'm not anxious about the exam. Does this mean I don't care? It is almost what they think drove them to success. And it could be true, could be untrue. This identification and it is really problematic. Hmm. So I guess what would what should one do then? Like I guess I mean for me, like again, I'll just use myself as an example. Like I don't get as anxious with exams because I feel confident going into an exam. I feel prepared. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't mean I don't care. Um, mm -hmm. it, it means I've done my work, but there's certain other life situations where I do get anxious. Um, of course. So, and, and sometimes you ought to, mm -hmm. because if you are not, an anxiety is there for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's not, people say an anxiety is when they think, oh, someone has an anxiety. Well, we all have an anxiety. It's uh, it just, uh, it's not um, binary. Mm -hmm. It is a spectrum. And we need it through life. Otherwise, why would you save for the future? Yeah. Why would you invest for the future? Absolutely. Yeah. Why would you have healthcare and life uh, insurance plans? Because there is some uncertainty and anxiety about the future. So this is another thing about the authenticity. Um, when we deny ourselves the privilege of feeling anxious, but at the same time, or our actions send something opposite about us. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I think, yeah, and, and it's the whole concept of uh, use stress as well. And, and you know, uh, like you said, anxiety, if looked at in a different light, there is positivity to it as well, uh, as you've mentioned. And, and it's all about how we frame situations and or or we can also reframe certain situations mm -hmm. and and it's how we speak to ourselves most importantly um that we can easily misconstrue something and um you know start labeling our own selves instead of even other people labeling us and and it's so important mm -hmm. in terms of how we speak to ourselves and and being comfortable with certain aspects of our personality knowing that um it's just uh, a part of our personality. It's not who we are as mm -hmm. a whole. So, um, no, I think Dr. Soleiman, I mean, we could sit here and chat for hours, but I really appreciate this conversation. I think, I hope listeners get, get a good understanding of the, the whole construct of being authentic, being vulnerable, um, also being careful of how we not only speak to ourselves but also others and even when it comes to giving feedback um you know being very careful on how we 
we choose our language. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'll end with something uh, that you said, then what we can do um, and, and the power of the language we use. Uh, maybe some people heard about um, Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. It's in the 1920s where they provide evidence that language directly affects our thoughts. And some linguistic scientists will argue against it, but there is some truth to how language we use deeply shapes also our experiences and understanding of life. And this is what's called that work is linguistic relativism. It's even when we're asleep, our language is still running. Once you say a label, the more your internal critical voice label you as a victim or label you as anxious, the more you will feel helpless. Mm. Um, and it is tricky because now when you try to reframe the inner voice, it can be too late and it can sound fake. That's why affirmation it doesn't work for everyone. Some people even find it fake and I totally see this because they would say, well, I feel it is not me. And it's not, and they think it's a problem in them. It's not a problem in them. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it, you are at a stage, some people catch these thoughts very early so they, they can listen to these things and change them. Some people have been with these thoughts for life. Mm -hmm. And so then they change the dialogue and, in a different way. They might need to write it down. If you feel don't feel like writing, which most people would say these days, we all have mobile phones. Mm -hmm. Try to record it and mm -hmm. record it without editing. This is back to an important point that you're asking about is facing the self and the vulnerability. If you are truly walking the walk, one should be able to record his or her own voice, listen to it and see, I would not see, this time will be here. What is the inner dialogue? Without thinking, just ramble, no complete sentences. If you have a fight with someone, um, just ramble your thoughts after this fight and as if you are venting to the phone yeah. and then listen to it. You will be surprised. I mean, you're a podcaster, I'm a podcaster, and we both know when we listen to our podcast um, before we release it, mm -hmm. or in editing phase, you sometimes say, why did I say this twice? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or you say, oh, that's embarrassing. Why did I ask this question this way? I could have asked in a better way. And you don't say, I am a fool. You say, this is embarrassing. Mm -hmm. That is big difference. And that's part of facing oneself. It, as long as it's expressed somehow, writing, voice, record yourself, video, whatever it is, and then see what your inner dialogue is saying. And mm -hmm. you will be surprised. And especially if you're a super achiever. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're a super achiever. Um, this is the category well, I, I work with, um, and because you get by 
with your intelligence, it doesn't mean that the inner dialogue is correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I that resonates for me. I think uh, myself included, I, I am pretty hard on myself. And, and <laughs> you know, I wouldn't say this is embarrassing. I would say something very negative about myself. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because the power of words is is so important because the way we speak to ourselves, you know, if, if we were to speak that way to our, our friends or our children, we'd be just, you know, mortified. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. It is mortifying. And it's a bunch, again, back to David Hume, where we started, what is the self? This mm -hmm. bunch of memories, reflections, opinions, upbringings, books. We tend to forget books mm -hmm. people are influenced by. And you put all of them in a box and these things are not fixed. They go out of the box and new things come in. Sometimes this box is replaced by a new one. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not, although it can feel to some people, it's not authentic to change few things. It, look at it as I am doing good, but I can be better. Mm -hmm. So in one aspect, you're acknowledging that there are good things to you, there are not so good th things to you, and there is room for improvement. Mm -hmm. Instead of, I am not good, I need to be better. Mm -hmm. That is a big, this not makes a big difference because that will be driven by an anxiety. The former will be driven by self-development. No, that's, that's amazing. And, uh, that's a great way to end. Um, thank you again, Dr. Soleiman. I, I really appreciate you coming on here and having this conversation with me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and I'm hoping we can have more of these. But I guess <clears throat> for listeners that want to uh, find you or reach out to you, what are some of the ways they can, um, you know, get a hold of you, whether it's social media or, or online uh, platforms? What, what are some of the best ways to find you out there? Thank you for inviting me first. It was really enjoyable, and I hope it would be of insight to some of your listeners. My website is dr, like doctor, my last name is Solomon, one word. So d-r-s-o-l-i-m-a-n.com, uh, and all my social media is handle dr uh, Solomon md, uh, md, like medical doctor. And that will be mostly Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm on TikTok too, but still not really uh, engaged <laughs> in that. I think it's more for, um, I think it's a platform more for um, entertainment. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, and on Facebook, although less so. So mostly Instagram and, and LinkedIn. Yeah, no, uh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, if people want to get a hold of Dr. Solomon, find him online. Thank you again. Um, and I look forward to chatting with you again. Appreciated. Thank you for coming. And hopefully we'll have a chance to uh, talk in more episodes. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. As always, please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy the episodes or leave a comment in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. Thank you again, and until next week.